Years ago, Peggy Worthen, wife of newly installed BYU President Kevin Worthen, spoke to the gathered student body, and in her talk she referenced Highway 6, a Utah road that leads from Provo to the eastern side of the state, including the famous Arches National Park in Moab. She said that in 1983 this road was blocked as a massive rock slide covered the road and blocked the river, causing massive flooding. A new road had to be constructed. Although the temporary inconvenience was major, the newly built road was much wider, much safer, and ultimately a much better path through the mountains. Now maybe it's because of the past years living in the east, we've come to appreciate the non-linear swerving roads that spread out here, in contrast to the sharply linear roads of the west. But I loved Sister Worthen's observation that, quote, Life is somewhat like Highway 6. Even though life in general is beautiful and scenic, the road we travel will not always be an uneventful, direct course, even when we know where we are going. We have to learn to be flexible and to deal with the unexpected. In our study this week, we look at the unexpected and hope to find a bit of flexibility in our relationship with the Lord. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hello friends, welcome to our study this week. We are studying in 1 Kings chapter 17 through 19. I, for one, am excited for, have been excited for just this three-chapter study. I know last week was a little overwhelming for me with all of those chapters um, and really books, too. So we are grateful to be here, and you may notice that this episode is coming out just a little bit later than we usually hope to do. We try and get our episodes out on Friday, um, and this week we just couldn't quite hack it. Another Sunday night episode for us. (laughs) But we are glad to be here. Kind of crazy. This is the last week of June. We're moving into July. And it's had us kind of reflecting back on the fact that we've made it this far. And also that we still have six months to go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Our goal has always been, originally it it was that we were going to go through all books of scripture. So we thought four years of a podcast it ended up being five years because of the change to Come Follow Me. We have two years of Book of Mormon backlogged in there. Um, and we still plan to actually end the podcast with this Old Testament study, at least the weekly version. We have some plans and thoughts and ideas of how we may continue that in some form for 2023. But that's beside the point. Um, or maybe FYI. But one thing that has really been on my mind was um, the idea that I had in my mind when we first started this podcast. I think I I thought to myself, like, man, if I really stick with this for this four or five years, I'm going to be so smart. <laughs> I, I have always been, I've always been a lover of the scriptures. I have, maybe not always, but I have grown to really love the scriptures and really just am intrigued by them and have enjoyed them. And so I thought with this intensive of a study where I was needing to teach and be accountable each week would make me just awesome. (laughs) I think that was exactly the growth 
that maybe I thought like, I'm going to know so much. I'm going to be really be a scriptorian that I've always wanted to be. And I've kind of hit a lot of a big wall (laughs) this year with the Old Testament. I've been excited for the Old Testament and this year's study has been another hard year for me. Um, And a lot of that I think has come because I haven't felt the growth that I wanted to be at. Um, My growth that I thought I'd be by year five of a podcast. Um, I actually, I was telling Zach this, like, I actually feel dumber now than I did five years ago. Which is probably what everyone feels when they're reading the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's because it's partly, in in part because it's the Old Testament. But um, I let that affect my confidence. I let that affect my desire. There were just a lot of things that were just, have just been hard. And I'm still kind of waiting and working through that. Um, But one thing that I kept thinking was, especially with this week's study of these answers to prayers. Um, First Kings chapter 19 has always been one of my favorite ways to talk about the spirit, um, where we see the Lord's answer not being in the wind or the rushing. I should read it. Give me some (laughs) ideas. We will read it. We will read it. The Lord not answering in big flashy ways, but that he answers in a very small whisper. Um, And we'll get to that. But these stories made us think of these unexpected ways that God answers prayers or the unprescribed ways that God answers prayers. So if I think back and put that into my idea of what growth I thought I would see at the end of five years, um, that hasn't happened for me. The growth that I had prescribed for myself has been much different. And like I said, I, I honestly felt a little disappointed in myself. I have over the past few months. And I now, as I've studied, especially this week, the thought came to me as I listened to these chapters that maybe the growth has been different than I thought it would be, but I've expanded in a new way. Um, Although it's not the prescribed route that I thought, this very linear, tall, I'm thinking of a tree growing straight up. That's what I thought I would be. But instead, the word that keeps coming to my mind is, I've expanded you. I've given you so much more, even though it's been uncomfortable, it's been hard, and it hasn't been what I thought. Um, He really has answered my prayers, and a lot of those answers have come, and the realization to those answers have come as I've um, sat with the scriptures, as I've sat in quiet, and sometimes he pushes me to the scriptures. That happened this week where I was in a moment where I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was like, ah, and he sent me to listen to the scriptures as I took a walk. And that's when the word expansion came to my head as I listened to this study this week of 1 Kings 17 through 19. And that brought us to what we want to talk about today with you is how God answers prayers in unexpected ways. And that's where we're going to dive in this week. Well, and that's really where the text takes us this week. Uh, These stories are all filled with um, kind of surprise and intrigue. The things that would be expected don't happen, and the unexpected things happen. And so it's a great place to look at how God answers us or works through us or works to our benefit in unexpected ways. As you said, we often prescribe a particular route we want God to take when he answers prayers or when he blesses us. Even if we don't do it overtly, we sometimes have that prescribed route in our head. 
And this week is all about the unprescribed route. It's God doing what is best for his children, for individual and for groups, but not in the way that they might expect it. I think that was one of the things that I appreciated this week was that we had a few different examples of these answers coming to individuals in big and small ways and to meet their needs at that specific time. And I think, like Zach says, they were unexpected. I think that's what makes it kind of exciting to see that maybe the way that we think God should be answering us or would be answering us might not be the way that we experience it. So one thing you can do as you listen to this episode, but especially as you study this week, is to ask yourself or, or to, to ask the scriptures, to study in the scriptures, look for different ways that the, the Lord answers prayers or petitions this week, and then to reflect on your own life and ask, has he done that to me recently? Is there a particular way that he has used recently with me? So for example, the first chapter, 1 Kings chapter 17, there are, if you look closely, there are three different requests for food, or at least three different times when the Lord sustains life by providing food in 1 Kings 17. The first, at the beginning of the chapter, is Elijah himself, who is fed uh, the way that God fed the Israelites in the wilderness, uh, through divine intervention, something miraculous happening without any action on Elijah's part. The Lord says he'll send ravens to bring him bread, um, and that's what happens. Sometimes that's exactly the way that the Lord answers prayers, uh, through divine um, manifestations of his power. It certainly happens. But that's just one of the three ways that God provides uh, sustenance in these in this chapter. So that's the first way. The second way, as Elijah goes into, um, first of all, the unexpected part of the story is he's going into Zarephath, which is in the heart of Sidon, and Sidon is Baal worship territory. Baal is a Canaanite god, um, or gods, depending on uh, how you read it. Um, but the the god that that uh, governs sun and light and fire, and this is the heart of Baal territory. If there is somewhere where the Lord Jehovah should not be expected to appear, it would be in Sidon, especially in Zarephath. This isn't a place where Jehovah should have any rain or expected presence. And yet, very obviously, these chapters show that there is no boundary for Jehovah. And so as Elijah goes into Zarephath, uh, the Lord tells him that the second way he's going to feed him is that he has a woman there in verse 9 that will sustain thee. And when Elijah goes in, he sees the widow and asks her to provide him food, which through her sacrifice, she does. This is a completely different way of providing an answer to a prayer, providing sustenance than the first one. In the first one, the only sacrifice required, I guess, is on the part of the raven that had to carry the bread. Otherwise, it's God divinely intervening and answering a prayer. But in this one, the answer for prayer, uh, the answer for food, the answer to prayer, comes through the sacrifice and the effort of someone else. Um, which is, again, a completely different experience from, from the raven coming, but one that maybe we're a little bit more familiar with as we ask prayers. We might often be expecting the first one. We might be expecting the raven or the angel or the miracle. 
Uh, and yet the result is the same. Elijah is fed when the raven comes. Elijah is fed with the sacrifice of this widow. And then the third, of course, person or people that are sustained is the widow and her son that are sustained through Elijah's ministry and through the Lord working through him. Um, and so if I were just to categorize those three, the first answer to prayer comes through divine intervention. The second answer to prayer comes through the sacrifice of someone else, the action or the sacrifice of someone else. And the third answer to prayer comes through anointed leadership. And of course, uh, the woman and her son get fed. And then another unexpected thing, the son dies and Elijah is able to bring that son uh, back to life again as the anointed prophet, uh, prophet. And so for me, that first chapter, I like just those three different ways that God answers a really specific but daily prayer of food and sustenance. And of course, this the reflection on our own lives can be really powerful. I love that. I think another, just to add on to this story of the widow, something that stuck out to me was maybe not even necessarily a spoken prayer that we see in this story, but we, we know that the woman the widow is making this last meal. And she even says it in verse 12, that she's taking the sticks in order to prepare it for herself and her son so they can eat it and die. So she knows that they're at the end, they're not going to survive much longer. And then they do because of Elijah. So then they, they are able to live, which probably I'm pretty sure was probably an answer to her prayers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if not her direct prayers, there was some form of her pleading, I'm sure, on both her and her family's part, her son. And then it's after that that the son becomes ill and he dies, which also, like you mentioned, Zach, unexpected. Mm -hmm. um, she thought that they were going to die of hunger and now he, he becomes ill. Um, really heartbreaking. And then we see Elijah as he takes part in this healing and he says, Verse 21, Lord, my God, please let this boy's life come into him again. So the Lord listened to Elijah and the boy's life came into him again and he lived. And he says to the widow, and I love this part that he mentions it specifically, nothing to do with him, but he just tells her, look, your son is alive. He brings no glory to himself other than saying, God has healed your son. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know you are a man of God and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. Um, what a big answer. I think this is our example of this really big answer that she gets in finding a testimony of one of God's chosen servants. Not only that, but her son is brought back to life. Now, this is an example of a really, really big answer. Well, yeah, but the unexpected route that she gets that, uh, the unexpected route she has to take to get that answer. She has to deal with her own starvation and even more painful, the starvation of her son and be literally on death's door, then is fed uh, through miraculous intervention of the Lord's prophet only to see her son after he has been fed die and then to have that son brought back. I mean, the emotional back and forth that this woman has had to get to the point where she can have this testimony. And Again, <laughs> talk about not the linear growth of exactly, a straight up tree. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure, uh, you know, if she's sitting down before all this happens and says, boy, I would sure love a greater testimony of prophets. I'm sure the path she picked for herself didn't include, well, I hope that we starve first and then a prophet comes and feeds us only to have my son die afterwards and then have my son brought back to life. Mm -hmm. 
So the contrast that I was taking is the story that I mentioned earlier, which we're going to get to, but I just can't help but contrast this. Um, this quickly is Elijah on the mountain. This is chapter 19 at the end. This is the story that I mentioned before that I've always loved. Um, the Lord's passed. There was a mighty wind. There were the mountains shattering cliffs. There was an earthquake. There was a fire, but the Lord was not in the any of those. But instead he came in a soft whisper in a voice. And I think it's a great contrast because I think this son coming back um, to life and her gaining this witness and the, having this experience was kind of an earthquake. It was a fire. It was big. Um, but the, those answers don't always come that way. Sometimes they are in just a soft whisper. So I thought that was a good, kind of a good contrast in these chapters to remind us of the many different ways that we grow or expand or experience God's voice. You know, I've been, um, maybe this is a bit of a tangent, but I've been reading a book um, the past couple of days or week from a former monk. And uh, some of the principles that, he've, that he's talked about is kind of meshed together with my study this week. And one of them that I really like is he he talks about as monks of any faith tradition, in order to attain the sense of peace and purpose that monks are famous for having, of course, he says they, they focus on the present. They don't overemphasize the future or the past, which I think has application here. But the um, the other one that I really like is he said, monks focus on the journey where other people focus on the destination. They're very present and very intentional about the journey. He said it's really common for us as people to have a goal or an objective in mind and to be really excited about the goal or the objective but we see it as a, here I am, and I'm really excited to be there. And of course, then when we take the journey, our enthusiasm wanes, or our interest leaves, or our passion fades, or our intention dissipates, and we don't actually reach the goal. And he said, monks, look at the journey as well as the destination. So if you set a goal for yourself to say, I want to be really wealthy, a monk would ask, do you want, as much as you want to be wealthy, do you want to go through the journey you will have to go through to get wealthy. And maybe similarly with spiritual growth, it's really easy to look and say, boy, I wish I want a stronger testimony or greater faith or greater knowledge of the scriptures. And uh, I think a question that could come from this experience is, are you, are you as willing to take the journey, even if the journey includes these, these unexpected twists and turns, this route that maybe you wouldn't prescribe for yourself and wouldn't expect. Are you are you willing? Are you passionate? Are you as invested in that journey as you are in what you hope the outcome will be? Well, I think you described exactly my experience that I had. You know, I had this this very specific goal in mind of what I thought it was going to look like. And um, then I think back, just as you were saying that, I was thinking back about all the the joy in the journey, should I say? No, but just that the reminding myself about the experience and um, that that's that's really what it's all about. But man, that's a hard that's a hard thing yeah, to do. Yeah. Well, the next two chapters you've already mentioned nineteen, but it's part of a that same narrative, and there's a similar um, connection uh, and a similar repetition of a theme in chapters eighteen and nineteen. The theme is fire. It was food for chapter 17. It's fire in 18 and 19. Of course, 18 is a well-known story of Elijah against the priests of Baal, 
Baal is the sun or the fire god. And so everything about this story is lopsided. There are, how many is it, 400 or something priests that are there. Um, the priests are often known, it says, it hints at it in the text, to uh, to put some kind of fuel under their piers, uh, the pillars to light them on fire so that the fire um, appears to be started spontaneously. And there's just one Elijah, and there's just one Jehovah. And yet, of course, the outcome, and, you know, Elijah goes through everything he goes through with the story. He has his own pillar or his own pyre doused in water, and uh, and yet the Lord is able to send down fire and consume his pillar. So there's the first fire. Again, a divine and dramatic indication of God's presence. The second fire is hidden. In chapter 19, uh, Elijah now has to run for his life. Um, Jezebel uh, makes this uh, pretty gory re- uh, pact to to kill Elijah, and so he flees. And I don't know what Elijah is feeling. The scriptures, of course, like any other text, don't put the emotion in, but you might be able to read an emotion here that Elijah just got done with this miraculous fire experience and could have rightfully maybe thought, well, now my path is clear. I will be this powerful and fire send down from heaven prophet. And so it's no coincidence then that in verse 8 in chapter 19, he goes up to Horeb, which is Sinai. That is Mount Sinai. And he's up there 40 days and 40 nights, which is a direct connection to Moses going up Mount Sinai. So here he is. He has just brought down fire from heaven. He is on the mountain where when Moses was there, there was fire and thunder and lightning. And then we get, Krista, to the verses that you read. Verse 11. The Lord said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And if I'm Elijah, you're thinking this is the moment where The Lord's going to do for me what he did for Moses, the burning bush, the lightning, and the thunder. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Um, Again, the unexpected response. Sometimes God does, as he did in chapter 18, respond miraculously with a divine indication of power. Um, However, sometimes, and maybe more often, He responds through small, quiet moments. I remember Elder Elder, um, Bednar has taught this pretty famously as the difference between turning the lights on in a room and a sunrise. There are some moments that are like turning a light on in a dark room. It illuminates everything immediately. It's miraculous and it's powerful. And I have had some experiences like that. You've had some experiences like that. However, Elder Bednar says that those are probably more rare than common. The other type of light is when the sky lightens at the dawn, and it's imperceptible. You can't tell from moment to moment when it's getting lighter, and then all of a sudden it's noon. 
And that is very similar to experiences that we have where there's not a dramatic increase of light all of a sudden. There's a gradual, almost imperceptible growth. And those moments, Elder Bednar says, are more common than rare. Isn't that just a powerful thing for us all to remember? I think the other thought I had as you were explaining that, Zach, was that we all experience many of those you know, sometimes we have those and we were wrestling before this with the idea of, well, we do, even though we want, we know that it's unexpected in the way that God answers us. We also don't want to erase expectations and say, don't have any expectations for God because he's not going to answer you. I don't, that is not the message that I think any scripture ever emphasizes instead that we should um, expect something from him. But what I do think is that we have all of these examples and all of these stories and we should be wrestling with other people's experiences so that we can wrestle with our own and find out how we experience God, how he is answering us, even if we feel that we are in a period of darkness or maybe it's harder for you to hear from him or maybe it's more of a whisper or maybe you had a really intense answer and now there's nothingness that can also i think be be hard when we have a big answer and we think wait where where did that go um i think it's so important for us to remember that even though god answers in unexpected ways we can expect him to be with us to guide us to help us grow even if it's not the way we think it's going to be if he expands our our minds and our hearts Um, in so many different ways. So we hope that this week, as you study, that that is what you find. Maybe you will relate to some of these experiences and remind yourself of, of times where you have felt God's influence in your life in big or small or loud or soft ways. Um, So we hope it's a great study. We'll be back next week and we will, we won't see you then, but we'll talk to you then. Thanks for being here.